0: All right, listeners, this is Tech Policy Grind, a show all about the exciting, occasionally inspiring things happening in internet law and policy. My name is Emery, and this week I'm excited because I get to bring you along with me to RightsCon 2018, one of the coolest things I've gotten to do in my professional career so far. RightsCon is the world's leading conference on human rights in the digital age, with thousands of attendees, more than 450 panels, hosted over three days four if you count Day Zero, events last month in Toronto. I was there this year, Joe Jerome was there too, as well as most everyone that's been on our show so far. So coming up is a two-parter. First, you'll hear my conversation with Javier Palero of Access Now before his panel on podcasting as a tool for advocacy. After that, stay tuned for a retrospective with Joe and I as we talk about some of our favorite panels, the most interesting trends and topics, where we found the best swag, and our thoughts on the conference. We've had an absolute blast producing this season of Tech Policy Grind. We're wrapping up with one more show before we break for the summer, and we'd love to hear from our listeners before we come back better than ever. You can always reach out to us on Twitter, but if you really want to make a difference, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. All right, that's it for the intro. Now, please enjoy my conversation with Javier Palero and a retrospective on the conference with Joe Jerome at ReitzCon 2018. All right. Thank you, all you listeners. This is Emery. We're here with Tech Policy Grind at RightsCon on the floor on day two of the convention. I'm joined by Javier Palero of Access Now, who has helped organize the event and has connected us. Javier, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, so uh, I guess I just wanted to talk about the experience of setting up this conference and what it's like to be on your side of the event. And
1: It's been a quite crazy amount of work. We are a team of 45 people and we have actually the professional assistant of professional event organizers. But even like that, we still have um, a lot of things to do, set up the schedule. Uh, Even we have found ourselves moving furniture and getting things together and ready for for the event. It's actually pretty big, we are expecting 2,500 people, which is actually almost a uh, 1,000 more people than last year's event. So Access
0: Now doesn't have a podcast, but you host a podcast on the side as well, right? And I think Access Now has sort of adopted it as uh, their uh, sort of project podcast, is that yeah, correct?
1: Yeah, totally. Um, it, uh, it, it is actually a side project online, a personal project uh, that we host with um, Peruvian organization Hipertelecho. And also with a researcher from Buenos Aires called Micaela Mantegna. So the three of us have this um, tech policy podcast, but uh, it's in Spanish. So that's why we haven't adopted that as the main podcast for Access Now, but we have totally the support of of the organization. And um, it's really interesting that um, it has had quite enough growth, given that this is a niche uh, thing, And we have seen this need, you know, for uh, conversation about technology, human rights, the impact that it has in everyday life, um, in Spanish, you know, for Spanish-speaking audiences. And it's it's great. Actually, we're having a live recording uh, tomorrow as part of one session in RiceCon. We'll be joined by um, Trinh Nguyen from Vietnam. Uh, she is a human rights activist, she has a podcast as well, and will be also joined by Melania Escobar, who is a Venezuelan activist as well, who is using podcasts to advance human rights um, uh, fights and uh, let people know about human rights violations in Venezuela, for instance, you know, where the control of the media uh, is uh, really tight by the government, and podcasts are one of the new ways in which people can find, you know, um, space to get their ideas out
0: there. Yeah, so I want to maybe, it's probably a good idea to talk a little bit about RightsCon um, from like the mission perspective, because that's one of the things that RightsCon has done such an incredible job of, whether it's from the Code of Conduct to the opening ceremony to the kinds of panels on here. It's really clear that this is, um, I think the opening ceremony said that you know this is not a tech conference anymore, it's a human rights conference with a technology perspective and the ways that the panels and the panelists and the attendees here are all recognizing that these tech issues that we're dealing with are extremely uh, impactful, especially on marginalized communities and on non-Americans and non-Westerners. And uh, can you talk a little bit about maybe the, the philosophy behind RightsCon and how that's changed or maybe what it, what it embodies now?
1: Yes, totally. I mean, in the beginning, RightsCon started in Rio de Janeiro a couple of years ago. Um, and actually, there were very little... Um, amount of assistance because it was a very tiny little experiment that evolved into this massive conference but the interesting thing is that it was born in brazil um, so it was born from the perspective of uh, the global self and from the perspective of um, communities that are underrepresented maybe right in a global policy around technology and um something that is also interesting is that There is um, some work in progress all the time to try to grasp the needs of those who are in the ground. It's not easy, actually, being a global organization hosting an international conference. Sometimes you can um, uh, miss the details and the nuances that make human rights work every day. But if you're connected to the communities, if you have strong networks of relationships, as we do, and also if you have an open heart and an open mind, you can start like, building up for things like the call of conduct is good example um, that is something that we didn't just came up with uh, it's in a con- constant evolution we have updated that, we are all the time receiving the feedback and looking for the feedback of the community so I guess that having an open mind and an open heart I guess is, is the secret to try to, um, to try to do a real really um, important and uh, and useful work in the field
0: So, maybe we can also talk about the way that this con is uh, bringing together activists, advocates. Like at the beginning, when we had a raise of hands, you know, there's a a really good mix of sort of civil society groups, but as well, we've also had um, some government folks, we've got a healthy amount of people from academia, a lot of students, a lot of young professionals. Um, The ways that the con is connecting these groups for for young professionals especially, it feels mm-hmm. like it's a really good place to network. Uh, it, yeah. I know that, for example, on day, the Day Zero Young Leaders Summit, mm-hmm. uh, do you want to talk about what the thought process was behind organizing that Day Zero event?
1: Uh, well, actually, in general, the idea of having um, th- this, this word is a little bit controversial, right, but uh, this multi-stakeholder um, approach to things. Um, I think that the, the, uh, the word used instead of that is just um, diversity. Mm-hmm. Okay diversity also in in thought, in ideas, um, in positions. So I think it's very interesting to have one place in which you can connect people from different perspectives and you can see the power struggles behind policy uh, legislation and policy regulation uh, in maybe in one panel or in one table. If the panel is properly organized, which is something that we also provide guidelines for, it should have geographical gender, and also political diversity, you know, in the sense of having, if possible, representatives from government, representatives from academia, um, technical sector, you know, because something that is typical from tech conferences is that they are very um, specific to um, technical communities or to governments. If you go to the ITU, you will find mostly governments and telcos. If you go to um, ICANN, you will see people that is more oriented towards the technical aspects, of the domain name system, you know, and so forth. The idea with RiceCon is to have um, a space where, of course, civil society is probably one of the main actors, but not the only one. And actually we want to make it um, even more open next year and try to bring more technologists uh, and more decision makers so they can see firsthand what are the needs of the people that they are representing as well.
0: That's awesome. I know that I've talked with a couple of other Access Now folks who have also talked about sort of the, the plans for next, already beginning to plan on how they can make this better for next year. Has RightsCon already picked a venue for next year? I know that by the time our listeners are hearing this, RightsCon will be in the past, but it's never too early to begin planning for the future. So uh, where should our listeners be looking or planning for next year?
1: Yeah, um, well, it hasn't been announced now on day two, but it will be when the podcast is, is on air. So uh, it's, not a, it's not a spoiler now. It's going to happen in Tunis.
0: Okay. Um, exclusive information. You heard that here, listeners. Right here, first on Tech Policy Grind.
1: It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's exclusive info. So, yeah, it's going to happen in Tunis. Um, the idea behind the choosing of the places has been uh, also try to follow uh, locations where Access Now has a community of partners and of people, especially offices, mm-hmm. of course. We have uh, an office in Tunis. It's one actually one of the biggest offices of Access. It has more than 10 people working there. Uh, it uh, it has lawyers doing policy. It has people from the helpline and technologists helping with digital security to the communities over there. Actually, Access Now was born uh, during the Arab Spring, and actually our work on the region is is quite cemented right now. So yeah, that's the, the, the criterion, and something that you you used to do. Um, we used to do um, before was to just host the conference one time in Silicon Valley and then one time somewhere else in the world. But right now, since we uh, consider that we need to take care of our community in the best way possible, uh, we have chosen to keep doing it internationally. Especially now that it, the environment is not so friendly for. Um, Diverse communities for um, people from abroad, like from a- Arab countries, for instance, who come to RightsCon a lot, and so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, it's the most
0: diplomatic way of phrasing that I, I commend you on. Um, yeah, your yeah. There. The idea is
1: to keep the community safe, you know, yeah. and to give people a welcoming environment. Yeah. And the venue has a lot to do with that. Toronto is a really diverse place, really cool place, and Tunisia is also as well as you know and many of our listeners know, is one of the countries that has conserved and, and went through with the reforms and with the um, uh, ideas of uh, the Arab Spring and the revolution. You know, many other countries just came back to more regressive uh, policies, but Tunis is still hanging there, and uh, we think that actually having an international human rights conference there is going to help that as well.
0: Well, I hope to be there as well. Another part of our show is always um, we like to talk to our hosts or talk to our guests about their specific journey. Uh, a whole part of our show is about the the ways that other young professionals in the field that are or maybe aspiring young professionals mm-hmm. can learn and follow in our footsteps. And so, um, I guess if you want to give like a super quick uh, like not bio but very quick like personal interview mm-hmm. about um, your role at Access Now and sort of what it took to get there and any wisdom you can impart for folks trying to get where you
1: are. Well, I think that um, maybe the, the only piece of advice that I can give is to try to be passionate about what you like and use that as a tool in order to read a lot and write a lot. There's no need to be an expert to start writing about things. Actually, having these. Uh, making questions to yourself, and trying to find new answers, new uh, viewpoints for, for problems. is an exercise that uh, can be done by creating things, by writing, for instance. I started by writing a blog when I was a law student, and after that I dropped out of college, actually, and ended up um, being a Google Policy Fellow for a local NGO in Argentina doing uh, internal Policy. I did that, and after that, I just got hired by Access Now without, uh, I mean, I was not a lawyer at that moment, so I was hired without a degree, and I started working like that. Wow. It's been four years now, and things have changed. I got uh, my degree, etc. but what I mean is that um, a lot of the things right now are done just, you know, um, uh, in an environment that doesn't value Traditional knowledge, as much as it used to be, or the traditional methods of knowledge. So a lot of the exploration and experimentation, all of that, is something that is very much needed in the policy world. Actually, the solutions that we are looking at, I mean, the the solutions to the problems that we are looking at now, um, haven't been invented yet. We have the guidelines. We have human rights are a good guideline, for instance, but we don't have like the specifics process, uh, even the political world is changing as well, you know? So, fixed knowledge and like encyclopedic mem- like memory of things is not going to help a lot. You will need to have a general idea of how to get information that you need, and this exercise of just pulling things together and trying to be creative.
0: That's an awesome answer. Thank you so much for joining me. I can't let you leave without asking you. Now I know that It's entirely possible that, given your workload organizing this, you haven't gotten to see any panels. But are there any panels you've gotten to see or any panels you're looking forward to or the top one that you're uh, most excited about this year?
1: Well, I'm very excited about different uh, panels. Uh, There are actually two issues that are, like, hot right now. No, really interesting. One of them is artificial intelligence, or what we call artificial intelligence. That includes machine learning, uh, autonomous weapons. A lot, of, a lot of panels on that. And the other thing is about the economic concentration of the internet, especially the application layer. Now that everyone's speaking about you know the power of uh, social networks, uh, Google, Facebook, etc. You know. So these issues are around competition and around the concentration and how and if that is something that is healthy or harmful for the internet. It's a really exciting debate.
0: To, to awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Xavier. Well,
1: thank you. All right.
0: Well, I'm here with Joe Jerome. It is, what, I think a week and a half, two weeks after RightsCon now. Uh,
2: two very, very long weeks. Two
0: very long weeks indeed. and. I don't know about you. I still definitely have to uh, continue following up on all the business cards and uh, contacts we made at RightsCon this year. Uh, I had a great time. What did you think of the conference, Joe?
2: Um, I, too, had a great time. We're not going to have much of a debate there. Uh, You know, I always think RightsCon is, in some respects, very, very inspiring, um, because there's all sorts of people coming at you from the global south, interested in so many different issues. Yeah. Can we, Um, like, pause on that?
0: Because Access Now and RightsCon clearly leaned in on or uh, recognized the importance of diversity, um, both in the panelists and the topics and in the presenters and in the attendance. And it, it really, really shown, I thought, uh, that was something that was immediately apparent as soon as you go in, was just the, the huge diversity of viewpoints and everything that was being represented in.
2: Right. And I give the... I give them a lot of credit for trying to do that, and you know, having like a code of conduct. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually I actually felt pretty bad. Um, I had a I had a private meeting of of VPN providers, and most VPN providers tend to be eccentric white guys. Um, and so I had one of my um, colleagues who works in consumer protection, um, she, she like was mocking me afterwards to say, you know, did you just have me in there for diversity purposes? Um, so I, I felt like I didn't, do, I didn't do a sufficient job on my end of trying to make sure that my own sessions were adequately diverse. But I, I think that also highlights.
0: I am, I'm looking through my notes here. I don't think that I attended a single panel that was all men, much less all white men. It, it, every single one was uh, very well, consciously composed, I thought
2: they try to forbid that so the thing that as not someone who's i guess i would say a veteran of rightscom but who's gone to a couple of them um you know sometimes i feel like it, it tends to be a, a situation where people just sort of you you grab whoever's around and bring them into the room and so whatever you know you lock down a panel but sometimes that doesn't really mean a whole lot because people like myself got double booked or people just can't make it mm-hmm. um but you got to talk about your of... double
0: booking by the way <laughs> I was uh, I in the panel that I expected Joe to be in front of, and I, I was almost concerned that you had some issues like getting to the conference because I'm looking there left and right and actually sending messages like Joe, uh, I'm at your panel. Where are you? So what what happened there?
2: Downstairs talking, <laughs> <laughs> downstairs presenting on something else at the exact same time. It's a um I feel sort of bad because sometimes right so I think this rights con was really interesting because a you know usually access now flips between having a a conference somewhere in the world and then in the United States um due to various political issues they decided to um to, uh, to boycott the U.S. and head to Toronto, uh, but I actually thought being in Toronto was really refreshing. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, I'm, I'm based in D.C. It's a swamp. It's nice to go someplace where just the air felt crisp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah um,
0: absolutely. It was my first time in Canada as well, uh, soaking up some of that uh, sweet, sweet um, socialized healthcare and uh, European sensibilities, I feel like. Um, right,
2: right. It's like it's 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 the midway point between um, socialist Europe and capitalist US and the Canadians are just so it, I think epitomized by
0: nice. poutine, which is like the, the most Western like American centric meat like clashes with like European uh, tastes meal. I feel like just a bunch of fries smothered in gravy and cheese curds, which I had, I think, three or four different times during the four or five days I was there.
2: Are, are you are you a poutine newbie? I mean, oh, yeah, people that I was with. Really? Absolutely. Totally a noob. <laughs> oh, see, now you have to. Under, you, you say you go to Vancouver; they've got all sorts of different varieties of poutine. So there's like Asian fusion poutine. Um, yeah, I'm, I was always surprised at how many people. Maybe I'm so I'm originally from the Midwest, so you know, oh, yeah. cheese gravy carbs in some combination is pretty common. Uh, but I'm, I'm always surprised at how many people have not had poutine. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I did. I I was a little uh, disappointed. I, I got told multiple times I
0: was in the wrong city for great poutine. Uh, but you know it's still fun riding around the city I got one of the the bike shares that they've got and the numerous bike share programs they have in the city and got to got to see some of the city while we were there I thought it was a very beautiful town a livable city
2: Uh, right I'm I actually – I'm planning on – I didn't realize how close it was to D.C. by flight. I'm actually hoping to go back sometime. Um, yeah. One of – I thought was interesting – and this makes me feel sort of bad about RightsCon because part of it is you're trying to meet new people. Um, but somebody put it to me pretty pretty succinctly that RightsCon ends up being an opportunity for you to just sort of connect with people you currently work with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So – a group of us uh oh, played, played hooky and like left um, and went and just like hung out around Toronto. And, you know, we're dreaming up, wow, well, maybe in five to 10 years we can create some sort of tech policy advocacy organization up North. And, you know, yeah,
0: yeah that's, it's, it is one of, you know, for all of our listeners that aren't in the advocacy industry, ad, advocacy, you know, fight the good fight world, um, advocacy industry. Ooh, I know, I know. That, I'm going to try to, I don't know. I, I'll leave that in. I'll leave that in. <laughs> but for all of our listeners that aren't uh, in advocacy Um, You know, it can um, it's not always um, easy to keep your morale high, (laughs) especially for the folks like us that aren't based in D.C. uh, like you are, Joe. um, You know, we don't get the opportunity very frequently to meet up with some of our, uh, you know, our coalition and our allies. Um, And it's just it's so motivating. It's such an encouraging, um, inspiring feeling when you're just surrounded by people that are all. Fighting the good fight and right. fighting in a lot of the same ways that you are and everyone's sort of sensibilities well, are all aligned and
2: – yeah. Let me ask you. So as, as a fellow person that's a privacy advocate – so I, I always think what's really illuminating about RightsCon is privacy is I think basically just a minor track of the many, many things that are being covered from free expression to just uh, – Always mm. just go to free expression, mm-hmm. but all over the place um, I, I'm, I'm just wondering, did you have any sort of re- like epiphany that some of the stuff you might be working on is first world problems compared to really some of the life or death digital civil liberties situations that some people in some really repressive countries are facing
0: yeah i mean the the I feel very strongly about smart cities and biometrics and you know uh, b- but Hearing the perspective from the global south is really illuminating. And, you know, the idea that we're sort of talking about this academically or, you know, even like aspirationally, where we talk about these things that, oh, we've we're, these this, these things will be we'll be dealing with shortly in three, four five years down the line. We have time to talk about this. And it's easy for us to forget that, you know, there are people in the global south that are being affected by a lot of these things that we're sort of talking with esoterically on their day-to-day life. Um, yep. I think that that brings up a great uh, segue to some of the panels that we enjoyed. Um, let's see, fingerprint on the pulse, challenging the lack of privacy protections for biometric privacy. Um, that was a really great panel, speaking of sort of biometrics in the global South. Uh, speakers, Wafia Ben-Hassin, Miguel um, Marachimo, Francis Monyang, Leandro Usaferi, and Hira Basit, moderated by Lucy Purden um i thought that was a really interesting um look into these biometric databases that are just being deployed with no kind of data protection <laughs> laws whatsoever um and the ways that um that is sort of being wielded politically and authoritatively um yeah
2: eye opening illuminating <laughs> Right. Well, I'm impressed that, A, that you had the names of everybody who was participating on your favorite <laughs> panel. Uh, that That's far more prep than I did. So I think we. my – also, I feel like you, if you go to enough things, it seems like there's just sort of trends that emerge. So oh, yeah. you're concerned about lack of biometric protections. And then I think we both sat in on the, the Smart Cities Smart Decisions session, which I, I actually think was my favorite. Um, yeah, I
0: think, I think that's my favorite. I think that day two – uh, that was Smart Cities, Smart Decisions, The Personal Data of name? Smart Citizens. I do, of course. So, Speakers so, David Goodis, Curtis McBride, Teresa Scassa and Bianca Wiley. Bianca speaking all those right. truths to power.
2: Um, I, I I thought that was um, – as, uh, as someone who's tangentially trying to get interested in Smart Cities issues, I thought it was a really good all-hands-on-deck type of panel um, where you had – I think actual advocates dealing with smart city technologies being deployed in Toronto um, yeah. by virtue of the the project that Sidewalk Labs is doing um, and dealing with just – Feeling like their voices aren't being heard. Um, and then it really sort of hammered home, for me at least, the real big problem with, with more consent, more yeah. notice. Um, <laughs> yeah.
0: That's you the know, thing. We're was... dealing with these issues that uh, there's just not any good solutions to them. Where advocates, right. ha- you know, advocates are worried about not having their voice heard. Well, that's because they don't want to, you know, <laughs> that their voice are only going to be poo pooing this thing that everyone else thinks is inevitable and necessary. I mean, what, right. what was the. <laughs> The consent is tricky. I have underlined and in quotation marks um, on my notes here. Uh, well,
2: you needed. They they were discussing concepts like you need collective consent, and then you. And then just the fact that we, have we I think as a privacy advocate or just in privacy, we're so fixated on this consent and user control framework when I don't know how that works because you, they had the really, I thought, moving example of the, um, you know, the metro authority that was basically handing information to law enforcement. And when people got really upset about it, the notion was, well, we explained it in a privacy policy or we'll just explain it better without really grappling mm-hmm. with the issue that no, people just don't want that and for yeah. me i went immediately after that session to um uh the a session on 10 days before the eu gdpr becomes applicable are you ready hmm. um which had ann kavukian isabel Falk puritan uh joe mcnamee um, and a representative from microsoft and i went to that and it was back in this disconnect of well we just you know we got to give people more consent and choices about stuff and it just felt like it's, there's a tremendous so fundamentally disconnect. fundamentally broken. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the best way to describe it. Fundamentally broken.
0: Yeah. So talking about names of uh, panels that I think deserve to be highlighted, the other panel that I, I really loved was the Internet of Stranger Things. Did you check out that panel? I did not. Oh, My
2: that- panel... Well, actually, what, so what is the
0: Internet of Stranger Things? So the Internet of Stranger Things, um, besides an excellently titled panel, was Amy Stepanovich from Access Now, as long as well as uh, Bruce Schneier and Kavokian, um, talking about um, really, I think, some of the, um, the bigger or maybe um, more harmful hazards of IoT. Um, one of the questions that I thought was really interesting from the audience was you know so how will we know when the next major iot catastrophe hits and maybe as a secondary question would we even know if the iot disaster has already hit and someone said that oh well you know we don't one of the great points was look we don't know if the first death from an iot malware hasn't already occurred um, it just wouldn't necessarily okay. be that visible. And then Bruce Schneier chimed in. I thought this was just excellent, uh, Bruce Schneier. He said, oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. You're, you're still thinking about this all wrong. You're thinking about IoT as a data and data privacy and a security issue. When you need to be realizing that IoT, the real risk of IoT is that it, it impacts the real world. You will know when the next major IoT catastrophe happens because it will coincide with massive loss of life or property. <laughs>
2: I was like, well. Wow, he's always a very cheerful fellow.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to plug his book that I put on my wish list as soon as he uh, chimed in. He said uh, his book "Click Here to Kill Every uh, Click Here to Kill Everybody" uh, is a book talking about this issue that I'm definitely going to be checking out soon.
2: It's, I mean, it, it's definitely an issue that I think is getting more and more attention. Um, you know, we're right now uh, the Consumer Product Safety Commission is uh, exploring we're on that today too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, comment writing. So much fun. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, and I think the the real challenge tends to be that at least – it 's really tough you you build a, an institution a government institution and it 's very much focused on one thing you know we 've got the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration for example that 's been monolithically focused on safety in cars and they thought of that in terms of seatbelts. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they really have to think about themselves i mean everybody is dealing with data and they're data regulators um, and that has just huge ramifications and I just there's just not enough agency or institutional competency to do a lot of these things, um, and there's just, you know, either there's legal there's legal limitations on what folks can do, or there's just um, institutional resistance. Uh, and you really hope that we figure that out before something really bad happens, um, but uh. yay. <laughs> I, I am not even cautiously
0: optimistic on that one, um, but <laughs> it remains to be seen.
2: So, did you meet anybody cool at RightsCon? Who is your Who is your favorite um, like professional connection that you need to follow up with?
0: Oh, I mean, so many access now, folks. The, the organizers were just super helpful. I actually was at part of the Young Leaders Summit as well, um, which uh, was interesting and a great chance to sort of you know get acclimated to the conference and like a little bit of a smaller scale. Um, before the the full day so there's some young folks there that i'm definitely trying to get into the internet law and policy foundry eventually
2: um way to bring things full circle
0: aha you know master of segues um which by the way i believe that we will uh have more information on that shortly listeners uh if you have been listening to the show for any period of time you know that this is the internet law and policy foundry's podcast the internet law and policy foundry being a collection of early career professionals in the tech law policy space and we're all trying to help each other. So we are going to be um, discussing or soon there will be information on um, how you can apply to be part of the next class of fellows. Um, but yeah, I mean, i I've met so many people, way too many people to count, honestly. Um, Amy Stepanovich, uh, Avi from Access Now. Um, I met Eva from the EFF who I have sort of like been a Twitter admirer for forever. Um, And, yeah, I mean, just the Privacy Coalition, getting to meet a lot of the uh, folks that are working at CDT and OTI and New America, CTIA, all in the same room talking about these issues was incredibly inspiring. So I I am guilty. I'm not sure how successful you have been or are generally at following up with uh, business cards, but I definitely need to – Devote some time and actually finish, you know, following up on connections. What about you?
2: Oh yeah, no, I'm. I, that's how the game is played. I'm all. I always my my networking rule of thumb has always been to, um, like give out two business cards, try and collect two business cards, and then randomly go say hi to someone and ask them about Game of Thrones. Um, <laughs> and I feel like that that is that has been a, a a decent formula for slowly but surely building up a social network. Or yeah, and you know it's so network. cool. Like the
0: rights. Like I just want to keep hitting on how awesome the diversity of viewpoints is at RightsCon where it genuinely felt that way. You know, you could go up to just about anyone and feel like, you know, look, if I just start talking about Game of Thrones or if I start start talking about like Dungeons and Dragons, like I'll find someone that wants to talk and like meet, you know, and discuss and collaborate. Um as I, you know, for all of our listeners, students, advocates, activists, uh, academics, anyone out there that is has the opportunity to go to a conference like this just cannot recommend it enough
2: it's (laughs) wow you sure you sure drank the kool-aid i drank it man uh, i had the opportunity to meet um ron ukabitis who is um the 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 founder of uh, of golden frog and the data foundry um mm. which is basically a small texas-based ISP, and you know he was walking around the conference with like a cowboy hat and um you know he was having none of our of our of our wonky policyness and our inability to understand how actual networks are run and secured and business prerogatives oh those um, engineers <laughs> right right um which is interesting. So you know, one of the and I'm, I guess I'm always the cynic or the negative one on the show. Um, but one of the takeaways that one of my colleagues brought to mind, um, sh- she did a, a session on um, building on some of CDT's prior work on natural natural language processing and and how you would do that for extreme vetting or to detect terrorist or hate speech mm-hmm. um and she's a she's a lawyer um but you know one thing that I do think is 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 at is missing from rightscon are more technologists so there yeah. are there yeah. are there are a degree of security experts running around um but it really does skew towards uh, you know, literally digital civil society folks yeah and if if totally those fair. folks Right, and if those organizations don't have security or technical expertise, um, they're they're really sort of grappling and grasping at straws.
0: Yeah, Um, which is you know one of the good. I mean, there are certainly ways in that people have criticized the um, sort of multi-stakeholder process of like bringing on Facebook and Microsoft to these kind of conferences. But at the same time, having folks that are on panels alongside advocates, alongside government. Talking about the real logistics, mm-hmm. the technical, the technicalities, and the techno technological restrictions that are all at play here, I think is is necessary. And yeah, there's a couple times here you know, I was asking questions like, uh, "So, are we are our advocates even talking about something that's possible or workable?" Right, or? right.
2: right. <laughs> like, well, I got I got into I got into a. The, a vigorous disagreement with with one guy about the notion that, like, well, access now by having Google in the room and Facebook is clearly antithetical to privacy, Um, and it just always strikes me that, you know, whatever your thoughts are on Google and Facebook's privacy policies, and certainly I'm not the biggest fan of them entirely, if you're going to have a conversation on the Internet and technology and how it's impacting um, human rights and civil rights... It seems like you're you're you, you can't avoid having those folks in the room, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Internet without Facebook or well, you're Google. doing yourself a disservice by not at least yes. hearing them. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess that's there's nothing new there. But I guess we should transition. So did you pick up any free T-shirts? Or anything I was just going like to ask the swag
0: question, my man. Um, so my favorite piece of swag this year uh, is actually um, Google had a booth handing out um, their advanced protection Mine program, <laughs> second factor authentication tokens. Is, did you Are you going to claim the yes, same one?
2: I, I grabbed a bunch. Oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> Private Internet Access also was handing out month cards. Uh, got a couple of those for the office. Uh, let's see. I, I thought it was funny that Access Now was uh, one of the pieces of swag was a battery pack, uh, like a USB battery pack slash flashlight that you plug into your usb port to charge and so i thought it was is this like a a honeypot test are we going to get a a panel after the conference that like all the you know the the report's going to get published online like i don't know i guess this week of all the data they scalped from or they were able to scrape from the uh the honeypot tests uh you know battery units that they
2: distributed but um i would love if they did that a you have people screaming about lack of informed consent oh yeah although maybe they maybe they had a piece of paper somewhere that wrote that down <laughs>
0: <laughs> i'm sure it was written in the yeah the sign up for the the ticket which i i certainly read all the terms and agreements when i did that did you really no not at all um any other thoughts i know that um next year the the big news is that uh is going to be in Tunis next year uh i'm not sure if we're going to be able to make that we certainly are hoping to um get some presence um, are you guys a CDT already? I know the CDT sent out practically your whole team. It feels like the right time this year, you guys uh, uh planning a repeat visit next year.
2: I, I imagine so. Um, yeah. I, I, we, we certainly submit lots of panels and use it as a good, like office bonding e- opportunity. We, uh, the, I think a couple organizations do this where they have like organization houses, you know, they use an Airbnb somewhere. Um, and that just sort of goes to the, the, the crazy sort of bonding experience you have. Um, you know, we, we were in a house that didn't have uh, uh didn't have a divider like it basically had beds out in the open which is fine for me i'll sleep anywhere but you know some people uh, like yeah, to have their privacy <laughs> <laughs> we we also had there was like a roof deck oh great you know go see the city uh, have some beverages but you could there were skylights that looked directly down on um folks bedrooms and oh. the beds in the bedroom oh, and weird. bathroom
0: <laughs> <laughs> airbnb so, not know. quite a hotel experience all the time yeah, we'll put
2: that in the review. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I you know, for all the listeners out there, RightsCon really is. I I think the up and uh, well, it's not up and coming. It's been years now, but it it really has become the premier advocacy do gooder oriented digital conference. Yeah,
0: totally. Listeners, thanks for listening. As always, we're going to have another episode coming up in just a few short weeks. And then I think that we might be uh, wrapping up this first season of Tech Policy Grind for a little bit of a summer break as we uh, sort of recharge and get ready for the next year of interviews and discussions. So if you have any thoughts about our progress, if any criticisms, any way we could improve, you know, we'd love to hear from it. Reach us on Twitter. Email us as well. Always check out the Internet Law and Policy Foundry website and we will hear from you later. So. Thanks. Bye. Au revoir. This has been an episode of Tech Policy Grind, a podcast from the Internet Law and Policy Foundry. We're a collection of early career professionals paving the way in the tech policy world, and we really hope you enjoyed the show. If you like what you just heard, it would be a huge help and mean a lot to us if you could head over to iTunes and leave a rating and a review. If you don't have iTunes, maybe just share the show with a friend. You can follow us on Twitter at Tech Policy Grind and keep your ears peeled for new episodes twice a month on alternating Mondays. We want to thank Ali Sternberg for producing the intro and outro music for the show and thank you all for listening. So until next time, thanks.